Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Lifting the Fog. This is Megan, joined by my co-host, Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, guys. How are you? I love this episode. Yes, it's a good one. Um, this episode is uh, a mama who we speak with who's very near and dear to my heart. She shares her um, story and journey of basically being you know, a mom who has um, raised a son with cancer really his whole life. He was diagnosed at um, 13 months, a little over a year, and he is now um, third grade, so around eight. Um, and just, she has a lot to say. She is very passionate. Um, she has a lot to share, I think, just She's because- a lot to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's try, I think her own journey, you know, she's been able to kind of figure out what she needed, what she wanted. Um, and so she's really been able to tap into resources and really then turn what she needed into her own kind of projects as well. Yeah. Kind of a passion Um, project to, um, share with other moms going through, you know, things that she's had to go through that no mom should have to anything and everything to help. Yeah. So whether that be support groups or, um, you know, just at this stage of diagnosis or at diagnosis rather. And at this stage of treatment, I wish I would have known this, mm-hmm. um, and it could have helped. So, um, Allison's just eager to share her story and help anybody that's on a similar path. Um, She's such a just sweet mom. And I think we both said that she just is a person that kind of exudes um, compassion and empathy and just wants to help. Knows how painful this journey has been for her and her family and doesn't, you know, want any other mom to have to go through some of the things that they have. So, um, and it's in the episode details. I want to make sure we mention this in the intro. Um, Allison shares a few support groups that were really helpful. Yes. Um, Momcology being one um, and chemo care being another. There were a yeah. few others as well. But yep. um, the links to those um, support groups and organizations that Allison shared in the pod um, are in the episode details. So be sure to check those out. And also, if you're listening um, and you know of a few support groups or organizations, foundations that have yes. impacted you and your family um, that we don't talk about on this week's episode, please email us at liftingthefog1. So that's the number one at Gmail and let us know. We'd love to highlight those and share those yes, as well. Absolutely. Um, that's the point of this podcast is yep. to connect and support each other. So um, this is one way. Yeah. Leaving anything out? It's no. a great episode. You guys enjoy. Yeah. I love it. Yep. Thanks, guys. Hi. How are you? Hi. <laughs> today we, I'm so excited for today. So today we are joined by Allison, who has a long-term brain tumor mama. So when was your son diagnosed? Um, my son was diagnosed in September of 2011. Okay. Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. He was so, diagnosed at 13 months old. Wow. And so he's how old right now? He's in what grade? He's nine and a half. He's in third grade. Nine and a half. And we're also joined by Amy. Hi, Hi everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder really quick, um, just so we can know a little bit more about Jackson, can you walk us through... The past eight years. So he was diagnosed at 13 months. Do you, um, do you remember, you know, what every he, single minute of it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. He, he initially, yeah, he was diagnosed at 13 months, but it took five months to get there. Um, 
it was towards the end of March, beginning of April that year, he'd started getting sick and uh, we couldn't figure out why. There was all kinds of things going on. Um, but the primary thing was he just kept vomiting. He was just throwing up all the time, constantly getting dehydrated and, you know, spiraling down that cycle. Um, and we were in and out of our pediatrician's office. We were in and out of Riley um, to try to figure out what was going on with him. Um, and then finally, I can remember, like, I can remember like it just happened last night. Uh, he had a fever and it was, uh, he was throwing up everywhere. It was the middle of the night. Um, and we'd done this ER run so many times before that, you know, you call the ER, you tell them they're coming, they're ready for you when you get there. Um, so I called the ER and this doctor, this middle of the night doctor, this guy, <laughs> um, he, he is like, well, okay, go ahead, bring him in. They're probably going to want to do an MRI to rule out a brain tumor or anything like that. And, you know, this whole time we've been looking at like his digestive issues or, um, allergies or something like that. Like what's causing him to throw up. And I'm like, brain tumor. What the heck are you talking about? And, you know, obviously I'm immediately upset. Like, didn't even know that was an option. I'm not thinking about his head at all, you know, just yeah. his, his poor little stomach. And, uh, yeah, so we come in and, um, the next day we go super early to get an MRI and they're like, Oh, you know, 45 minutes or so he'll be out, he'll be done or whatever. And an hour and a half goes by and I just feel sick. And a nice nurse comes out with a smile and says, Oh, they just have a couple more pictures to take. They'll be done and out in a little bit. And I feel better. And, you know, the day goes on. And I mean, this had to have been super early in the morning, seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And the day goes on and it's noon and we haven't heard anything. And we're sitting in our inpatient room and then it's one, and then it's two. And like the whole day is going by and not a peep from anybody. Like the nurses are barely coming in our room, you know. Jackson's back in his room. Yeah. 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 We were inpatient at that point. Yeah. Um, and then later that evening, and my husband had stepped out to go get supper. And later that evening, like this team of half a dozen plus doctors comes into the room and I'm there alone with my kid and a nurse comes up and says, can we take him to the playroom for a little bit? And they leave and they just hand me a box of tissue oh my and there's a brain tumor. And, you know, it's just numb like it's shock I mean I, I, I don't know how else to explain it besides that um and then a few minutes had gone by and they're speaking and you're talking they're like in their Charlie Brown voices wah 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 and my husband walks in and like having to look at him and nod to him yes that's when I like started sobbing you know it's this is our reality now mm -hmm. um so it was it was unexpected, um, but a long time coming, like it, it, it took a long time to get to that diagnosis. Um, and he had surgery three days later to have it removed, um, and follow up MRIs. Everything looked good. Everything was clear. Everything was removed. Um, he was pronounced NED, which is no evidence of disease. Um, and we were told that's, you know, probably it. Nothing will ever probably come of it again. Go about live your life. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so that was in September of that year, 2011. And then, um, so he was, you know, we'll check up on him in six months and see how he's doing, do another scan, but you know, whatever. Um, so he had no chemotherapy, nothing, no treatment. We'd, we'd, no treatment. We'd very briefly met one of the oncologists that had come to our room, mm-hmm. um, after his surgery and spoken with us and, you know, they'd said, Oh, you know, it's going to get biopsied. We'll get an official diagnosis. We're pretty sure this is what it is. Nine times out of, you know, trying to give us statistics and comfort us that it's fine. It's over with, like, it sucks. You had to go through this, but you know, you're, and what was the type of brain tumor? A pilomyxoid astrocytoma. Okay. Um, Did you feel like it was done? Like, were you like, okay, yes. Yeah. Still a little in the back of your brain. Like, no, I mean, like you felt confident about nothing could make me feel worse than sending my baby down a hallway to go get his brain cut open. You know, like to me, the worst of it was over. There was nothing that could be worse than that moment. And, um, when they're telling you like we got it all and everything is great. And Oh my gosh, doctor, the the surgeon that did it, she just top notch. Like I could not have asked for somebody else. I I mean, like I swear she's an angel, like you just can't see her wings, (laughs) but they're there. Um, And she's like years later, we saw her in the emergency room years later, hadn't seen her. And she's like, how's Jackson? How's, you know, like recognizing us and just the, her personality is, she definitely put me at ease, made me feel really comfortable with everything that we were about to go through, going through it. And then when it was over and we had complete confidence, I mean, it was gone. I believe it was gone. Mm -hmm. Um, but all it takes is one or two cells. And, um, six months later, we, found out we were pregnant with our daughter. Um, and then a week after that, we found out Jackson's tumor had grown back and he was going to be starting chemotherapy. Wow! And so that was a super emotional week for us. Like you go to the highest high and then the lowest low and, um, it's super overwhelming to try to wrap your mind around. Um, and then once you get that, um, okay, it's back. We've, we've got to start treatment. It's just go, go, go. Like within weeks, he's got surgery to put a port in and then we're starting treatment. And then, um, you know, at that time he was like 20 months old, not quite two years old. So, um, yeah, I have so many memories of like having to hold him down to get his port accessed and, um, how traumatic it was for him, how traumatic it was for me. And, um, while being pregnant. While being pregnant, yeah. Um, but, you know, we he adjusted very quickly. And that's the great thing about kids is they're super resilient. And he has always been somebody that uh, once he knows what to expect, he deals with it exceptionally well. Um, and so, yeah, we, we started chemotherapy. Um, and we were he was scheduled to get um, 10 weeks of induction, which is basically – 10 weeks straight of treatment. And then they broke it down into eight cycles. So he'd go four weeks with treatment and get two weeks off. Um, Was he inpatient for induction? No. No. Well, he ended up being inpatient for a week, about seven or eight weeks in, because he was neutropenic. Um, And so we spent about a week inpatient Mm -hmm. waiting for his counts to go up. So that was kind of scary. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because that's kind of your first taste of like what this chemotherapy is actually doing to your kid, you know, like, oh, he has no immune system. So you can't leave the hospital because any infection is like (laughs) deadly. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, we did that. We went through about, um, I think overall it ended up being like 70 weeks total from the beginning to end of treatment. He finished right around his third birthday. Um, and you know, they do scans throughout treatment every few months to see how it's going, if the medicine's working or progress, you know, the tumor's progressing. And by the end of treatment, again, his tumor was gone. He was pronounced NED, no evidence of disease. And this time I was a little bit more hesitant to like rejoice over that. Mm -hmm. Um, And two, it was the end of treatment was honestly way more anxiety inducing and stressful than going through treatment was. I don't know if that makes sense, but while you're in active treatment, you feel like you're doing something every week. You're coming to the hospital. He's getting the medication. He's getting a checkup. You're seeing people who are reassuring you and validating you while you're going through this. And then it's over with. And then you're, you know, you have to wait three months before you get any kind of, you know, validation of your fears or comfort that the scans look okay. So it's, it, that watch and wait is awful. Awful. And we hear that all the time that mm -hmm. families say you're, when you're on treatment, it's like you're actively doing something to kick this cancer's butt. Yeah. And then like families and I've, I'm a broken record. I've said a million times on the podcast, but ringing the bell can feel like jumping off a cliff and it's like, yeah the unknown is so vast and yeah. Yeah. While you're in treatment, you're like walking through a stream. You can see Mm -hmm. the bottom of it. You're going, you're not focusing on three months from now. You're focusing on getting through this day, this week, this month, you know, and, um, and you've got lots of resources in your pocket. I mean, your, your oncologist is right there. Your nurse. Right. right You are seeing somebody regularly and you're knowing what's coming. Like, yeah. Even if you're having an afternoon where your kid is not feeling that great and you feel uncomfortable, you've got clinic in two days or, you know, you've, you're calling the on-call nurse and they're giving you suggestions on what to do yeah. or you know that you're in that hospital mode so an ER trip isn't unexpected or um, uncomfortable. You're not unprepared for it now. Yeah. You're you're yeah. six months into treatment. You know what to expect. You know how to get through an ER visit. So, yeah, finishing Um, and having that, you know, it's gone, it's not there, no evidence of disease as great as it feels to like cross that finish line. It's just the beginning of something else. And it's almost scarier than what you just finished. Cause you probably feel alone a little bit. People, Oh my God. People are kind of holding your hand, if you will, I guess through treatment, not holding your hand, but well, and your life more accessible. Your life in general is on pause. Yeah. I mean, everybody else goes and lives and, you know, school, work, kids, social life. And it's not even, you know, on your checklist of things you've got to do every day or things you're worried about. It's not even on it. It's not, it's not a concern at all. Um, And you do, you feel very alone. You feel very stuck. Parenthood in general can feel very isolating, especially when you're parenting babies and toddlers and, um, it, it does. It just feels isolating. And then you put a cancer diagnosis for your child on top of that. And it's isolation. It's anxiety. 
Because did you feel like your community too around you when you're off treatment doesn't get the new phase that you're in? Like they expect you to, okay, now things should be normal. Like you don't have cancer anymore. You're not doing chemo. So yeah, so. yes and no. I mean, we have been really privileged in having an exceptional support group. Um, and, and socially we, um, we are in a car club. We have an old 53 Chevy and, um, we actually do our own car show now, um, called Jalopies for Jackson. And it's a way, hmm. it's a fundraiser that we do. And it was, it, it was a way to like bring our community together to celebrate him. And then going forward, we wanted to, you know, utilize it to pay things forward and yeah, be kind people for other families. So that's a whole other conversation, but um, we, we did feel a lot of support from people who would still ask, how's he doing? How's he feeling? Is he feeling better? Are you guys getting back to normal? I mean, I didn't feel like there was a significant pressure to like get over it and move on. Um, because at this point That's too, great. we'd been in it for, you know, two plus years, mm-hmm. um, from the time we started like going to the hospital to, you know, the end of that treatment and still too, you know, I have always been very vocal on social media and with our family about, um, this is what, you know, Jackson's got an appointment today and it went really well. And this is what we found out today. And he's got scans in, you know, next month. And so, this is what, you know, we're worried about. This is what we're hopeful for. We'll let you know what happens. Um, because we did have so many people that um, were following him. When he initially was diagnosed, you know, it's super overwhelming. You don't know what you need. And so all I could think to ask for was prayers. Like, And we're not a super religious family, but... That was all I did. I went on Facebook and I asked people just to pray for my kid. And one thing that I did was I made like an event and it was called a minute for Jackson. And all I did was go on there and say, my kid's having brain surgery tomorrow. This is what time it is. If you could like pause your life at that time, send up a prayer or good thoughts or good deeds or anything at that moment, like when this is getting ready to happen, it would mean the world to us. And, you know, at that time I've got like a hundred friends on Facebook, you know, like people I went to high school with in my family. Um, and by the time that, you know, he's in surgery and I'm trying to distract myself and I'm flipping through my phone and getting on Facebook, you know, whatever. And I see there's like, you know, 2000 people that have said they're going to do this and they're going to pray for him. And it, it was, overwhelming and then those people kind of are like asking afterwards for an update and how can we follow him and you know we started a caring bridge at the time and then went to like a Facebook page and then now it's just you know I've most people friend request you in general anyway so I just start putting the updates on my own page and Mm -hmm. um so yeah we we have never been at a lack of support of people who are saying how's he doing thinking about you guys today praying for you can't wait to see you at the car show like And when he started school, you know, we come from a very small community and, um, you know, when we started school, he'd walk down the hallway and kids would be like, Hey Jackson, Hey Jackson. And he's just like, (laughs) hi, you know, I don't know who you are, but hi. (laughs) So I I mean, he was very well known and very loved. And, um, so I never felt a lack of support at that time. Um, 
you know, we, we were grateful it was over with and we were just trying to figure out how to move forward. And I felt like people gave us the time to kind of do that. Um, so that was the end of 2013 when he finished or not the end of, but he finished in 2013. About three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was in July. Um, so it was in July. We had a six month old, we had him at three and, um, so yeah, then we had about, you know, they go to scan. So you're done. We're going to scan him in three months, then another three months, then three months. And we're going to move to six months and we're going to move to, you know, I'm not comfortable with going to a year. So we're going to scan in eight months. And, um, yeah, we had about three years where, you know, every scan came back clear. Every scan looked great. And they, you know, you look at statistics and stuff like that and they tell you survival rate is 80% over, you know, it's a five-year survival rate is 80%. Well, you look at what that really means. It doesn't mean your kid is, has an 80% chance of surviving. It means after five years, 80, after five years from diagnosis, 80% of kids are still alive. It doesn't tell you if they're still in treatment. It doesn't tell you if, they pass away after five years from complications of treatment or, you know, from the actual cancer or um, it just tells you most kids are still alive after five years. Uh, so that's a little, you know, misleading. Mm-hmm. So we're approaching five years, you know, we're approaching five years from diagnosis and we've had three years of clear scans and we think, okay, you Maybe. can finally breathe now. You can yeah. finally like, <sighs> it's, it's really over with. Um, and so we went in for a scan and it, it, it didn't look clear. There was a spot. Well, it, it might be nothing. It, it might just be scar tissue. It, you know, we're, we're not sure. We're going to watch and wait, see what happens. And the one good thing about his type of tumor is it's, um, super slow growing. We, we can have the time to wait. You know, when we found it, we didn't know it was there before. So it was big enough that it was causing issues and problems. Um, with as small as it was when it came back. Um, and of course, when it came back the second time, it wasn't causing symptoms or problems, but obviously it was there and it was growing. So we're going to give it treatment because we know that it's going to grow this time. It, you know, he's been through chemotherapy. We, we, we know that it responds to treatment. So we just kind of want to wait and see, is this really something? Is it nothing? Is it going to grow more if it is something? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in the summer, uh, about right around three years after treatment was over. And so then we did scan six months later in January and there was growth. Um, so at that point we knew it's tumor. We have to move forward with some type of treatment. Um, now we get to decide, do we want to wait a little while to go forward with treatment? Do we, what kind of treatment do we want to do moving forward? Um, for the first time we met with, um, radiation and talked to them about what that would look like, if it should be an option to consider, should we, and obviously to me, that's not an option. Like that's a last resort. If we don't need it, I don't want to use it. Mm Um, and we, we decided on, you know, what his next type of treatment was going to be. And we decided we, we had the option, we had the benefit of time. So we were going to wait until the end of the school year. 
Um, it just was a lot for him. He, he was struggling in school anyway. And we later find out this, the side effects of treatment, Mm -hmm. um, the deficits that he's, he's having, but, um, so he's, he's struggling through school, um, struggling socially a little bit at that point. And we're going to wait and see, we're going to wait till the end of the school year to start treatment. Um, and so we did, and he, he did great starting. He did great. You get another placement or a port placement put in and um, you start, you know, these new drugs and you don't know what to expect. And he's about six. Yeah. Seven, seven. almost seven okay. by the time he started. Okay. Yeah. He was still six, but close to his seventh birthday. And at this point it's like a new diagnosis and a new kid. Like these, this whole treatment that we were doing is totally different than what we'd done before. And He's, I mean, he was a toddler and now he's almost seven years old. So. And that's when I met you. Cause I remember somebody saying there's somebody going to start chemo and or treatment in the summer after school. I remember a nurse practitioner was telling me that. And I was like, well, then I will meet them when we start school. And that's kind of why, you know, that's not knowing how he'd respond to it. Not knowing how he'd like mentally cope with it. That was another you know, thank goodness we had the benefit of time and we could wait because school is so stressful for him. And then to put having to go through treatment on top Mm -hmm. of it, I wanted at least to have the summer to like adjust. Yeah. And hopefully by the time school started the next year, Mm -hmm. he's like in his routine kind of. He would, yeah, he would have that mentality of, okay, at this point he knows what to expect. He can cope with it. He can deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how long was he on treatment this time? This time. Okay. So the treatment seven. Yeah, he and he's he's nine and a half. Um, so he did well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was about seven. Um, he did about six months, uh, a little longer than that, maybe nine months of the protocol that they put him on, and <clears throat> it was just really rough on him. Um, it wasn't rough in the sense of like he was throwing up all the time and. Um, stuff like that, but more of like his immune system couldn't handle it. His counts were super low. Mm -hmm. Um, He was bruising really easily, getting a nosebleed that would like last 30 minutes and needing a platelet transfusion because his body just wasn't recuperating from it. Um, You know, and this was the first time too we'd done, this was oral chemotherapy that we'd done at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we still aren't coming into clinic every single week. You know, it's still at this point is maybe once a month um, to come into clinic and get a checkup and get the IV infusion chemo that he had to get. But a lot of it, we still had time at home. So I didn't have as much of that comfort either um, of being here every week. And so it was a harder um, transition. I feel like for both of us Mm -hmm. because he wasn't feeling that great and I wasn't feeling that great. And now we started school again. And now we're having these issues with like waiting, waiting, like each time between each cycle, we have to wait for his counts to go back up high enough to start the next cycle. And the more cycles you get in, the longer it's taking for your body to recuperate. And at that point we start talking about what other treatment options we have because this is just rough. It's really rough. And is it going to work when you have to space it out that much? And is it making a difference in the tumor? Like, is it affecting the tumor that we can continue taking this long between cycles and waiting and prolonging it to find out if it's working? 
So we start talking about different options. Um, and the next step we look at is a targeted therapy. So pretty much they'd had this seven-year-old tissue from his surgery and they're able to send it in and get genetic testing done on it and find out what medications are going to be most beneficial for the type of tumor that he has for his body, mm-hmm. for his genetic makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so then we're, we decide we're going to do that. And we are, of course, our insurance won't cover it. So we have to apply for patient assistance through the manufacturer. And we're waiting to find out if we're going to get approved from them. Stressful. Because this medication, you look at it, and if your insurance won't cover it, you look at the cost of it, and it, a 30-day supply of pills, so 30 pills, can cost anywhere between three to $5,000. And he's having to take a pill and a half a day, so a month and a half's worth of medication. Mm-hmm. We can't afford that. What are we going to do if we don't get approved for this? Mm-hmm. What other options, you know? Your mind just, it's waiting. It's its that stress and anxiety when you're waiting, um, the chest is like the worst side effect of all of it. Um, but he got approved. <laughs> happy, happy ending on that yeah. area. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he did end up getting approved. Now we're just waiting for his body to like kind of bounce back from the previous treatment. So he can start it. And that took another two months um, before. So two months of absolutely no chemotherapy whatsoever. And his body is, you know, finally just barely able to start again with something else. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I'm going, I'm looking for information on this, uh, new targeted therapy. Well, one, our insurance didn't cover it because it's not FDA approved for his diagnosis. It's FDA approved for skin cancer, lung cancer, and thyroid cancer. I believe at this point is the three things it's FDA approved for. But they're using it for him because the genetic makeup of these cancer cells and his proteins or whatever, you know, this this is what fits him. And it just so happens that that's what it's treating right now. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it didn't get FDA approved until 2013. So is there any... Uh, information on it? Mm-hmm. No. Uh, is there any other families whose kids are on it? A few. How long have they been on it? Two years. What are long term side effects of it? There's no, it's not long term yet. You know, like you're you're having to make these decisions and these choices to treat your kid without knowing all the facts, knowing yeah, you don't have a lot of answers, the possibilities, but you don't have a whole lot of other options. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and do you want to aim for something that's going to genetically work for him? Or do you want to gamble with a different form of treatment that still may not do anything? So we decided, you know, that's what we were going to do. And we tried and the side effects from it have been the roughest side effects of any of the chemotherapies he's been on. Um, the first month of it was okay, and then months two through four were just the poor kid, torture. Um, but he got through it. We got through it. He His body adapted and adjusted to the medication, and then it was just like everything was fine. He, his body was back to normal. We're going through this. Um, he's getting scans. There's not been really much of a change, and then... He just had scans at the beginning of this past December, and there have there is like the teeny tiniest minuscule amount of shrinkage. So any amount, you know, you're super excited for, um, 
So we've made the decision. We're going to, we've been on this treatment a year in February and we're going to go forward with another year and hope that this will just continue to work and continue to eat away at that little monster in there and see if it is the magic medicine. So it's been a long journey with nothing that you can anticipate. It's like each time he's had a reoccurrence, it's something different. Yeah. Um, and I guess through all of that, and then, you know, part of the reason that, you know, I reached out to you and really wanted you to be on, I mean, part of the goal of even having this podcast was because, you know, Amy and I had talked for so long and being, and working in a outpatient hematology oncology clinic that families need ways to connect and share with one another and Mm -hmm. support one another and that we aren't able to do that because of, you know, privacy and HIPAA. And I can't connect two moms that I think, you know, you're, you should be connected. Yeah. Like (laughs) your children have the same diagnosis and you're going through the same things and you have this really great support group and you could benefit from it. And I can't connect you just because of privacy and I get it, but it sucks. And so we thought maybe this could be a platform where we could share stories and people could listen and connect to one another. And I know that you got connected to the podcast. Um, and then you went to, and Jackson and your husband and your daughter went to brain tumor camp. Amy sadly did not get to go cause she was on maternity leave, that, but, that but we baby, missed you. That baby. <laughs> <laughs> we missed you. But, no. um, and one of the sessions, it was, you know, just the parents and we were talking about, I guess I don't even know how the conversation got started, but just supporting one another. And you had spoken up and said that you wish that there was more ways that moms can connect and that you need to be connecting. And it sounds like, I mean, you said earlier that you have had a really robust support system and you can't really imagine what your life would be like without something until you're without it. So I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure you could confidently speak to, this would have sucked. <laughs> oh my gosh. Without yes. support. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I can't imagine we see all the time single moms, you know, or families that moved out of state and don't have family here. And so definitely see across the board families with different levels of support. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to do research on what that means if you're connected to a support group or if you're connected to a church, or if you're connected to a school community, if your kids integrated in extracurriculars, how much more, I don't want to say successful, but how much better, I guess, do you cope with all this if you have those things? Anyway. Yeah. Well, and it's to a point too, you can have a huge network of people that are rooting for you and cheering you on and asking how you're doing and how can we help you? What do you need? Um, and it's definitely needed. It's definitely wanted and it's definitely utilized. There is nothing like being able to talk to somebody who quote unquote gets it. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like, that's, that's it. Somebody who gets it. Like that is the difference. I, I mean, you can understand what we're going through is awful and you can sympathize with us. Um, you know, you can feel badly, you can help us, you can pray for us, you can, uh, you know, distract us. But ultimately, you don't understand what it means to get up with my kid in the middle of the night because he's throwing up or to have to, you know, 
look at the ingredients on the soap label to make sure that they're sensitive enough for his skin because he's got this rash side effect from his medication. And you're not having the anxiety of how many days is it until our next scan and how big was it the last time? What, what were the measurements? I wonder how much it's going to, you know, what's the difference going to be this time? Is there going to be any different, you know, it's, there are just so many intimate intricacies that if you're not living it, you can't comprehend it. You, you, I can tell you all about it, but you're not going to feel it the way that I feel it. Um, and it, yeah, it support through people who are going through it also. And I don't even know if support is the right word, just being able to talk to somebody who you don't have to break down what medical terminology you're using means. And they know what medications you're talking about and they're familiar with, you know, ports and access and, um, you know, infusion rooms and stuff like, you know, they not having to explain it, not having to say anything, you know, seeing that mom across the waiting room who's about to break down and knowing why she's upset without even having to know why she's upset. Yeah. Like I can walk across that room with open arms and hug her and she gets it. I get it. We, there's that connection without saying anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and I think just as human beings, we instinctively want to connect and have relationships with anybody, regardless of your situation. That's Absolutely. how we that's our makeup. Uh, we wouldn't cry or smile or, you know, if we weren't built to have relationships. So then, I mean, think about even just to break it down. It's, it's fun if you run into somebody and find out that you're from the same small town yeah. or you have the same profession. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amy and I are friends outside of work and we always find ourselves you know, talking about work and think like, oh, we're outside of work. Let's not talk. But it's something we (laughs) share with each other. So imagine what is the most precious thing to you, your children, then, you know, their health. And we can share that we are both struggling with this. What, how there isn't, I mean, is there a stronger connection to have with somebody? It's definitely, I mean, and how comforting that can, has to feel. Yeah. Yes. Um, and you want to talk about feeling isolated. That is the time you feel isolated when you're in the depths of it, in the trenches, and you feel like you don't have anybody who understands what you're going through. I mean, who, somebody who understands what it looks like to hold your child down while they're screaming and crying. So somebody can shove a needle in their chest. Like I could tell you all about it and you can know that it's awful, but you didn't have to hold your child down to do it. And being able to connect with people who understand exactly what you're going through, exactly what you're feeling, exactly what your child is dealing with is invaluable. It just, it is what gets you through some days when nothing else does. And you're, you can have the greatest providers in the world, uh, your, your doctors and your nurses and your nurse practitioners and your, Uh, medical assistants, and even the girl that makes your next appointment, you know, at the end of clinic, you can love all of those people and they can be people who um, comfort you and can to a certain extent understand what you're going through and can have a relationship with you and your child. But they're not oncology parents. They don't have kids going through that. No. And I mean, I, I've, I've told you guys before, like, I don't know how you do what you do with all, you know, 
I have one kid and you guys have <laughs> hundreds, but, um, you know, you get to, you get to clock out on that at the end of the day. And I don't mean that lightly that you don't take your work home with you and you don't feel your work and it's not heavy for your heart. Um, but my attention is 100% on this one child and his needs 24 hours a day, every single day. Mm-hmm. And that is heavy and exhausting. It's heavy and exhausting if you're a regular parent, but you put that on top of it. And it's like, let me put, you know, a hundred pounds on top of your head and have you walk around with it all the time. See if your neck doesn't get tired. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think it can compare to even, I mean, having a spouse battle or go through treatment would be devastating, but there's something instinctively and we're all moms, but there's something instinctively inside of you. That love you have for your child is wild. It's unexplainable. It makes you do unexplainable things. It makes, (laughs) and it makes the best crazy come out of me, how much you love them. So the weight of that, like you said, the 24 seven worry parents have in general about their children. And then on top of it, a brain tumor. Yeah. And I don't even, I don't even know how to parent a different way. I mean, he's, he's my oldest and I got about eight months with him being healthy as a newborn. Eight months was all I got without having this stress and anxiety in our lives, this concern and worry and extra in our lives. So all I know is how to parent a cancer kid. You know, I mean, I don't know that I would be less of a mom, but it's definitely made me the mom that I am. Um, And it's given me a confidence that I never would have had otherwise. Uh, So, I mean, if you want to talk about silver linings from this awful situation, and I'd rather be you know, have no confidence and have my kid be healthy, obviously. But, you know, if I have to go through it, I'm gonna, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna try to get everything out of it that I can. We don't have a choice. So make the best of it. Right. And along the way, it's definitely made me a better person and a better mom. Um, And we talk about that all the time on the podcast, that through all this adversity, it is important to keep talking about how it comes with strengths because if you can't focus on those things you know that's the hope in all of this that through all of this of course you wouldn't you would you would trade it for for your son's health but through all this adversity you've become a an amazing mother yeah yeah I I was talking with um somebody not that long ago and we were talking about you know like you go on a diet and you exercise to lose weight. You don't, you don't lose the weight by not changing anything. You don't become, you know, a healthier person by not changing anything in your life. And it's kind of the same thing. Like I'm not, would I have been an okay mom? Yeah, probably, you know, I would have been run of the mill average, whatever, but you know, this emotional workout I have to do every single day. And the, the extra details and things I have to pay attention to. It, it was like a mental workout, an emotional workout, a physical workout at times yeah. um, to become, to end up becoming the person that I am now and having my, you know, our, our priorities and what's important to us 
in raising our kids definitely has been persuaded by this life. Your pers- you know, entire perspective. Yeah. Are grades important to us? No, not really. You know, um, is sports important to us? No, not really. Is my kid a good, sensitive, kind, empathetic human being? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Does he handle stress and pressure well? Could he get through these things and help other people get through them? Absolutely. Um, is he funny and able to cope and deal with like the sadness and the anger that comes along with this? We're working on it, mm-hmm. but he does a pretty good job, you know? Yeah. So um, we're definitely better people because of it. Uh, I wish we didn't go through it, but what can you do? <laughs> yeah. And I think, so, you know, and circling back to and talking about brain tumor camp and how um, you were a really strong voice and saying there needs to be more support groups. And as you were talking about not just the need for mom supporting moms or, you know, and dad supporting dad, uh, but families coming together and having those platforms and what that can look like. As you're talking, I just kept thinking, Literally, I mean, who's a better person than you, Allison, to be doing this? Because mm-hmm. listening to you talk and how passionate you are, and I mean, I don't think oh that phone. I just don't. I don't know a better person to 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 start it than you. And I wouldn't wish upon any family to have as long of a, you know of a journey as you had. But to be diagnosed so young and to be yeah know, eight years out, but all that, all those years of experience and things that you know what not to do, or I wish I knew this then. I mean, I it's just very valuable. Yeah, yeah. you've been you. through the trenches and more, mm-hmm. and you have so much to offer moms. Month one into it, five years into it, ten years into it, and I just think too that you. I mean, it's, your heart is is an empathetic one and a big one. And sometimes that's just kind of within people. It's part of their personality and that's you. Um, one time I was watching that. I love Oprah. I talk about her quite <laughs> frequently, but I was watching her speak and she was talking about um, like five gallon, five gallon people um, can't expect pint people to fill their, their souls up. You're a five gallon person. No. You have a heart that is deep and when when you were talking about all this, I'm like, well, this is you. This is you that needs to start something because, I mean, and even when we, we had later that night, we had a panel and we were talking about, you said, you said it earlier just now about how, you know, I have one child, you guys have so many. And I lost my mind crying and said, you know, it's, you know, my honor and privilege yeah. to serve the kids that I do. And I, I started to cry. And who comes up and gives me the biggest hug? Oh, it's Allison. I, the brain, I the brain tumor it. mom hugging the teacher it. that doesn't I'm, have kids with a brain tumor. It. And she's consoling and hugging me as I'm saying, it's an eye honor to work with your child because that's your soul. That's in, that's within you is to lift people up. And so I guess anyway, you, you had talked about starting a page after brain tumor camp. I saw you in clinic and you said, I did it. I started yeah. it. Yeah, so inspiration is was over is overwhelming at camp that weekend. Um and walking away from it, I kind of had two things in mind. Um one is, you know, in talking to the other parents and you know, talking to the panel and all that stuff, 
the two things that parents are hungry for is information and connection with other parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people who quote unquote get it. Um, and I just felt like the information is, it's there, it's out there and it's overwhelming. Um, and the connection is out there and it's far and wide. So I kind of wanted to narrow it down. I kind of wanted to have things that were digestible and things that were, um, connections closer to home. So I went home and I started a Facebook group, um, specifically for our area and with the goal of let's get people on this page who are going through treatment close, you know, we're all physically locally close to each other. Um, and let's see what happens. Like, let's see if we can support each other through this avenue. Um, and then the more I thought about it, like information wise is kind of where I wanted to start. So how do I get people to know about this page? How do I spread the word when I can't be in clinic, like knocking on every door saying, Hey, I started this page, like go like it on Facebook, go join this group on Facebook or whatever. So what is the page called? Um, it's a private group and it's called, um, Indiana childhood cancer connect. And I think right now there might be like 15 of us on there. Um, so I started with the information. I like I started with how am I going to get it out there? There's no point in having it. I can't build it if I can't get it out there. Mm-hmm. And that led me to kind of an idea for another project that I wanted to do. So um, when we were very first diagnosed, all those many eight year moons ago, mm-hmm. um, they handed us this binder. And I mean, it's like a one inch, one and a half inch binder, and it's got a ream of printer paper in it full of information that um, is very helpful if you can sit down and read it from front to back. (laughs) But uh, who can do that when you're in survival mode? In survival mode. um, Quite literally. You... Your kid gets diagnosed with cancer. You're looking at immediate surgery, whether to remove a tumor or to place support for treatment. Then you're looking at treatment. You're trying to decide what treatment you need to go through. And then, you know, all the logistics that come with treatment, like, oh, well, what are we going to do for school? Like, what do we do for our other kids? What do we do with, how are we going to pay our bills? Do we have, we have got to take this time off work? You know, it is a whole realm of, things that you didn't know you needed to worry about, you you know. Well, it's not funny, but the vision also, I guess that is in my head, that I've never seen anybody do either. I can't see you going through all that and then just finding you in a room reading a binder. Right. You know what right? I mean? So, like, what do you, oh, I'm just reading my binder, guys. Yeah. Go ahead, start surgery. Like, yeah, like you're you, not reading a binder. You I can't know, imagine reading a well, binder. Well, you always yeah. say, too, like, you don't get an instruction manual when you get a kid. Yeah. But cancer, you get an instruction yeah. manual for <laughs> Which, thank you. You know, and it doesn't even really help you navigate the things that really need help navigating. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So, anyway, you get this, you get this binder and it, it has a lot of helpful information in it. It's definitely something that's needed. It was not helpful in that moment, in that week, in that month. Um, You know, that week when he had surgery, that six months later, that week when we find out we've got to start chemo. It's not helpful. Uh, It was not what I needed. I needed something 
condensed, something specific, and something digestible that I could wrap my mind around, have direction from, and be able to actually utilize. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your brain is busting at the seams with information and emotion and you're trying to process all this and you don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. I needed somebody to tell me, this is where you start. Mm-hmm. Do this, this, and this first. This is what you need. This is what can wait. Start here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah, almost nine years we've been doing this. Everything that I found, I found on my own. You know, do you want to talk to a social worker? No, I guess not. I, I why would I talk to a social worker? Why would I talk to a patient advocate? Like, I didn't know I need that. I didn't know they had things that I could benefit from. I didn't, you know, do you want to talk Did to Did you a- have like a negative connotation with social work? Because to me, before even being in this setting, you know, yes, I did. I would think social work negative. You know, like, I, I, like yeah. maybe something's CPS. wrong. I did. Yeah. Like, did, yeah. Am I bad parenting or something? Yeah. Like, oh, sorry. What's going on? No, I didn't. I didn't really think of it like in a negative way. Just I just didn't, know what didn't they offer. Yeah. Like yeah. a social worker, what are they going to do? Like, I don't know. I just thought it was one more person to talk to, you yeah. know, like yeah. I'm talking to all these doctors and talking to nurses. I'm talking to, you know, we're at a educating hospital. So I'm talking to like <laughs> medical students, residents, medical attendings. students, residents, mm-hmm. attendees. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm going up Hello. the whole ladder <laughs> And, uh, that, you know, then specialists and then we, you know, this x-ray tech and this, do you think it would have been helpful to say you're seeing a social worker today? I mean, yeah, it definitely would have been helpful and to then say you're, 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 you're seeing, this. this is your next, per- you know, yeah, you're, mm-hmm. it's not a choice. Yeah. So yeah, to, for somebody to say, these are things that you can utilize and this is actually what they will help you with. Not just, do you want to see this person? I don't know what a, sure. yeah, I don't like know what that. your patient advocate is advocating for. I don't know what the child life person is really going to help me with besides distracting my child for five minutes. Like, mm. I don't know what your roles and positions are. Obviously, <laughs> you know, a decade later, I know how important <laughs> these and vital these roles positions are. are. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, I could imagine, I don't know, because I've never been a mom that's gotten a diagnosis like that I'm assuming your brain is kind of mush in those first few months no. just pro and numb and just processing yeah. everything so to on your own decipher if you need something it's like yeah tell me yes or no what I need. well and you know you don't know what you need until you need it yeah yeah true I mean do I want to meet with a social worker I don't need, I need my kid to not have a brain tumor. Can a social worker do that? Cause yeah. if she can't, I don't need to see her. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, you know, you don't know what you need until you need it. You don't know what to ask until you're asking for it, which sounds. Which it does make sense that it, it can be hard for organizations to figure out the best way of when do we, I mean, yeah. cause I think Amy and I struggled with that being um, teachers in a clinic um, and kind of trialing out what that would look like. It's like, do we meet families the day they're diagnosed? No, 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 no. That doesn't seem right. Do we meet them the next time? Uh, it still seems soon. But right after diagnosis and you go home, do I go to school the next day? Like, yeah. So, yeah. So what does that I've look definitely like? met a family on a day where they have seen six people and I thought this is dumb. I don't want to meet them and be overwhelming to them. But 
I I had to meet well, them. Well, at a certain point, they're not taking any information you're giving exactly. them. Yeah. They're not retaining anything. They're not remembering anything. Yeah. And, you know, nobody else is like at the beginning of diagnosis, make sure you write everything down. Make sure you write your questions yeah. down. So yeah. when you're not remembering yeah. anything else, you're also not going to remember what you wanted to ask your and next I, appointment either. I, I know what you and I both try to say when we meet families around. You're not going to probably remember this. Here's my card yeah. with my number. You'll probably lose it. Mm-hmm. If you want to put it in your phone right now, do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. keep checking in on you and keep offering things. Because right. at one point, it might click to, oh, yeah, we need to do that. Well, we need a 504. When you essentially get into the habit of not asking for things because you don't know what to ask for, then you don't ask for things. Like, it's yeah. a cycle. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to kind of condense everything. I wanted to say, well, and the other thing, too, is nobody pointed me in the direction of support groups. Nobody pointed me in the direction of, like, looking for resources to help us pay for anything. Yeah. Nobody, you know, there's just things that are outside of the medical realm that I didn't know were possibilities. I didn't know could be utilized. I didn't know I needed. Yeah. Um, and the C is pretty, I mean, it's a huge, vast, there, there are so many things to dive into when it comes to oncology support groups or non-for-profits or uh, programs that you can get your kid involved in. Like you talked about joy jars. Is that yeah. one? Um, there's probably a hundred different quote unquote joy jars but how do you even know where to begin? Yeah. So what So what was your thought? So you started the Facebook group and then you said, I kind of had the second idea. Yeah. So I wanted to put some type of like, you know, I got a binder. A binder wasn't helpful. A pamphlet, a pamphlet I could digest. Yeah. Uh, you know, a few pages I could get through. And if those through, if those few pages were offering me specific things that I needed more than just basic generic covered the whole realm of childhood cancer information, even better. Mm -hmm. Um, If I could put a pamphlet together that, so that's what I decided. I decided I want to put, that's, this is the project that I'm working on. I have kind of an outline of it, of what I want to put in it. And I kind of want to work with the hospital and go back and forth and see you know, what's okay to put in it, what's not okay to put in it, what, you know, all the political agendas. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So check all the right boxes, make sure it's not offending anybody. I'm not stepping on any toes and I'm not putting, you know, um, any information out there that's not, you know, worthy of everybody's, you know, trust and all that. So yeah, I want to, I want to put a, a, a pamphlet together that's got one information on support groups and through that avenue kind of sneak our little Indiana support group in there mm-hmm. so that that's like the first thing you see. There are other people like you that are doing this. They are going through the same trauma that you're going through. They're experiencing the same stress and anxiety. They have the same questions. Their experiences might be a little different, but they get it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and that's, I mean, that is the number one thing I think parents need. You, Your health is at the bottom of your list when your kid's diagnosed. Your physical health, your mental health, it's just keep my kid alive is where your brain goes. And all of the support groups I ended up finding, I found on my own, not because somebody told me they were out there, not you know, like I'm Googling childhood cancer support groups. I'm on Facebook looking for 
parent groups that have brain tumors. You know, I'm, I'm out there looking for it and it's out there. If you're searching for it, it's out there. It's just, how long did it take me to finally decide I probably should look for this? How far into treatment were we before I finally thought about, I wonder if this is something I could find because nobody said anything about it. Nobody said it was something that would be offered through our treatment hospital or we don't offer it, but go look for it. Like Mm -hmm. it's there for you. Here's where you look for it. So I just started looking for it. And it makes sense now. Like today we think about it 10 years ago, eight years ago, you know, social social media media was was not what it is now. And it feels like such a short amount of time and such a long amount of time in the same. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I, I, where, you know, social media is now, this is a great time to be thinking about, um, and not only just offering up to the institution, you know, where your son goes, but hopefully people everywhere can listen to things like this and, and, Think about, yeah, we need to talk to parents about what are the things they wish they knew or had at their fingertips in a condensed way and can connect with other people going through. And that aren't necessarily related to the medical aspect. Yeah. And I know it's hard for organizations because they don't want to put their, you know, their Their stamp of approval on something that they don't have their, they don't have investment in. Or even that they don't know is credible. They don't want to refer you to a support group that has... You know, yeah, a mom in there that's maybe not giving the best advice. I mean, or or yeah. whatnot. So they, I know that they have to be careful as an institution, and um, even you know, we have families that come in and want to know more about neurofeedback programs. Have you heard about things like that with, or um, well, specifically like neurofeedback programs? And some of our doctors are like, whoa, 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 we need to we need to check these institutions out. We don't want to refer our patients and families. Right. Who we are very protective yeah. over to places that we don't know anything about. We want to make sure that that they're investing their time or getting support from reputable, you know, places. So I know that's a reservation, um, but I think that this is a good step in talking to you, the you know, the parent, and what are the things that you want to know, and you know, working together to create this. But so I know you said in creating the pamphlet, you had kind of like three different tiers. Yeah. So I had obviously support groups. Yeah. That was the, you know, nobody, nobody told me to go look for those, that I would need those, that those would be the most beneficial thing I could use. Yeah. And you think of support groups, it's not just like going on and crying, like, oh, my kid has cancer, boo-hoo. Yeah. It's like, you guys, how do I get my three-year-old to sit still to get his poor access? Mm-hmm. What worked for you guys? How did you make it work? Um, what do I need to have in our, like, what, what kind of stuff did you take to distract your kid with? Like, um, I saw a three-year-old with a shirt that unzips so it's so easy can to access his court. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, who yeah. knows yeah. about this? Yeah. Hey, this, <laughs> this is, is so any, cool. Yeah. yeah. Who's got tips and tricks for getting through six hours of infusion? Here's a place to get cheap wigs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys, I'm, <laughs> I'm falling apart at the seams. Yeah. That, yeah. that is a real part of it is the emotional side of it. Um, you guys, my kids started this medicine. What side effects did your kids have? What helped you get through them or cope with them? How did you deal with it? Who has to bring their other kids to clinic? I yeah. do. What do mm-hmm. you do? So it's is that appropriate to, you know, 
Exactly. How, how do you split time? I'm mom and I always want to go to every appointment, but am I neglecting my other kids? Do you guys let dad go? Do you let another caregiver go? There's uh, yeah. so many conversations. You guys, it's cold and flu season. I'm so nervous. Do you send your kids to school? How yeah. do you cope with that? Yeah, it's it's a whole realm of things that have <laughs> that have little to do with the actual cancer, but more of like coping with yeah. how you deal with the cancer in your everyday life. Like mm-hmm. it's not specific to okay, my kid has leukemia. How am I going to, how do we get, you know, through this three-year treatment, just the treatment part of it, but how do you get through the three-year protocol, like, and live and thrive Mm -hmm. while you're doing it? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, support groups are the number one thing. The other thing I wanted to put in it was other online resources. Um, You mentioned the Joy Dars, and I think we actually talked about it before we started recording, Mm -hmm. but that's, that is a resource from um, a childhood cancer foundation that offers um, this free thing for kids and families that is like a monthly subscription, but it's free, right? So you get a little surprise in the mail, a nice distraction. There are other foundations out there that offer things for free, like books and play kits and animal like stuffed animals and blankets and comfort items and um things that you know maybe aren't necessarily 100% needed to get through your treatment but they are nice to have they are extra resources extra information um extra ways to help your kids cope extra distractions extra just good extra mm-hmm. extra stuff that you didn't know would be helpful and it ends up being really helpful. And Mm -hmm. if you don't have to pay for it on top of it, why not Mm -hmm. utilize it? Right. But if you don't know it's there to utilize, you're not going to, how long is it going to take you before you stumble upon these websites mentioned by somebody else in this support group that you hadn't stumbled upon when you needed it. Right. So nine years later, eight and a half years later, let me just go ahead and give it to you as (laughs) an order. (laughs) (laughs) Here you go. Here's your menu. Right. Go ahead and order, right? So, well, free so is yeah. also huge for I'm sure so many families. Yeah. Right. No matter where you fall on the map financially, before you started cancer treatment and things like that, I'm yeah. free is huge. So, and if you aren't like in this area and hopefully one day going to receive this pamphlet, um, the online resources that I like mostly utilize and go to. So, like the joy jars that we talked about is it's from the Jesse Reese Foundation. Um, and you can find them on Facebook. Their website is negu.org, and that stands for Never Ever Give Up, which was like the Jesse Reese motto. And all of the, um, because maybe some people are listening to this and driving in their car, all of the foundations that you have, can you email those to me? And yes. then when I post this episode, I'll put it in the episode details. Yeah. So that was that was a resource that we used. And um you know, we've been doing this so long that I've utilized them a couple of times when Jackson was little and going through treatment, we did this. And at that time they would send one joy jar, you know, and that was fantastic. Just at that time, being able to receive the one thing. Yeah. Awesome. So cool. Something for him to look forward to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then we go back, you know, you know, four or five years later, I go back to it again and see, okay, well, can I order, can I sign up to get him another one? Because you know, it's a different treatment in it. Yeah. Well, you know, just like technology, our experiences, everything in the world has grown and moved on and, you know, whatever. 
this foundation had too. And at that point they started doing the, like the never ever give up club where they start sending out the monthly jars. So I'm going just to hopefully get one and I'm ending up getting a year's supply of these distractions mailed to my kid, you know, when we get home from the hospital or he gets off the school bus, it's there. And it's something like so cool that he wouldn't have if he didn't have a brain tumor, (laughs) you know, like, Mm -hmm. Is it worth the brain tumor? Maybe not, but no. But you should get it. Yeah. Afforded some some special things. So yeah. so that is the one thing like that I I definitely recommend going through. The other one is through the American Childhood Cancer Organization. Um, this is an awesome resource. They have tons of free. Um, this was the one that we utilized that had like lots of books, books for toddlers, books for young kids, books for teenagers, books for parents, books for like, how do you, you know, working through the education um, side of things with it, like dealing with your, your kid's teacher and this, you know, diagnosis and treatment or whatever. What's a 504? Yeah, all that stuff. (laughs) And then they had um, just like comfort stuff and um, play kits and different things like that, you know, journals for kids. Um, and all of that was free. All I had to do was go on and put our information in. This is my address. This is my kid's name. This is his diagnosis. And I would like to receive this, this, you know, you go through and you check the boxes of everything that would apply to you that you might be interested in. And then they mail it to you. Wow. You know, and it free didn't cost me anything. Didn't have to pay for shipping, nothing, you know, so that's a great resource. Um, and then the last one that I use that I put on this list, just kind of as my starter was, um, it's called chemocare.com and it is just, you can go in and alphabetically look up all of the different medications that cancer patients in general will possibly come across. Um, it's not specific to pediatric cancer, but it's a great resource for, um, learning about the, um, the medication drugs you're taking. Yeah. And I mean, and it, it talks to you about, you know, what this drug is, what it's used to treat. Um, how do you store it? How do you administer it? How do you, and of course all this information you should be getting from your actual oncologist, but it's also to go on there. Nice to like, you know, when we're talking about Jackson's treatment this last time and waiting to find out if we're going to get approved for this medicine. Well, if he doesn't get approved, what other options are we possibly looking at? What other drugs is he possibly going to be put on? Okay, great. I'm the kind of person that don't Google or get on there and like, uh-huh. okay, but I'm going to. Like, <laughs> information, knowledge is power. And I need every tool that I can have available to me in my back pocket. Yeah. So I'm going to go on and learn about these drugs. And then I can go to my support groups and say, hey, these are the treatment options that we're looking at. Has anybody taken these? Has anybody experienced them? Side effects, blah, 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 blah. You know, you can take that information and do so many things with it. Um, and and so I'm all for educating yourself as much as possible from reputable sources. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like that was a great. And the, another thing I liked about it is. And then you can, sorry to interrupt you, but you can take what another mom says because everybody cancer is different. You can have two JPA brain tumors and still respond totally different to treatment. But you can say, hey, a mom on this support group whose son similarly had gone through it, um, this, you know, specific protocol said X, Y, and Z. 
Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Exactly. And start the conversation. This mom said this and I hadn't even thought about it. Is that something I should be concerned about? Is that something that will affect my child? And maybe he'll say no because of Jackson's genomics or or maybe he'll say, hey, that's a good, you know, let's talk about this. So, So, and it's like that support group thing too. When you're calling the, you know, you're calling because you've got a question and you're waiting for the on-call doctor to call you back at 10 o'clock at night. In the meanwhile, you're going on this, um, and to go back and we're giving out resources, Momcology is the one that I specifically utilize the most. Um, Momcology, they have a public page on Facebook, but they also have a private um, support group page. And then within that realm, they also have smaller support group pages. So Momcology brain tumors, Momcology sarcomas, Momcology leukemia. So you can go in there. You can, one, generally ask people about experiences like, how do you get your kid to sit still for a port access? Mm-hmm, yeah. Or you can go into those specific groups and say, hey, does anybody have this specific diagnosis and going through this specific protocol? Like I'm getting, we're getting this side effect. My kid has this weird rash. Is this what your kid has? Is this a normal yeah, side effect? How are yeah. you coping with it? So that is the main one that I utilize. Um, is momcology on the pod? I know, and I I love that name. It's so catchy. I'm already like, oh my gosh, I'm going to tell so many moms now. So if you're listening to this <laughs> and you're a part of momcology, email us at lifting the fog yeah. one, <laughs> <laughs> and you can come on and tell us more. Yeah. But I'm loving that. Yeah. So um so yeah, the support groups, the other online resources that you could utilize that you wouldn't know about, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. until maybe like six months to a year in, if you actually stumbled upon it. or went searching for it on your own. Um, And then the last thing that I kind of want to put in this pamphlet is other things to think about. Like I got this binder and I'm sure it talks about social workers in it. I'm sure it talks about child life workers in it. And when am I going to get to that part in the binder? You know what I'm flipping to, what do I do when my kid has a fever? I'm flipping to what's the on-call nurse's phone number. I'm flipping to what are the side effects of this drug that we're going, you know, like, those other boring specifics, yeah, they might be needed, but that's not where I'm going to immediately, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, or something that I even am like knowing that I need to read about. Yeah. So, you know, if I can, I'm putting in, I want to put in this, um, have you spoken to a patient advocate? This is what a patient advocate can help you with. Mm-hmm. Have you spoken to a child life specialist? This is what they have to offer. Not just asking, do you want to talk to a social worker? But would you like to talk to a social worker so they can help you with ABC? Mm-hmm. Well, do you think you want to speak with a child life specialist so they can help your kid with X, Y, Z? Yeah. Um, have you applied for FMLA? Have you gone to your work and talked to them about what's going on? Do you need a note from the doctor? Like, we'll help you fill this paperwork out. Is that an option for you? You need to fill that out as soon as possible. I'm not thinking about that, you know, like, we were in a position where I was able to stay home with my kids and my husband worked, but that's not a possibility for everybody else. The other thing, um, have you talked with a school liaison that's available to help you um, manage your child's education while they're going through treatment? What does that going to look like for you? Is that a possibility that, is that something that you could utilize Is your kid old enough and in school? Do you have a teenager? Like, This is what the school liaison can offer, you know, dot, dot, dot. Do you need that? Um, Have you applied for Medicaid and this special insurance that's available through this facility or whatever? Um, 
you know, they can help cover medical bill costs if you're approved, but you have to know about it to apply for it. Mm-hmm. So do you know about this? Do you need help scheduling? Appo- have you thought about scheduling appointments for a hearing appointment or a vision appointment or a dental appointment or a neuropsychology appointment to get a baseline of where your kid's at at the beginning of treatment? Because if their medicine is going to give them deficits in any of those areas, it's nice to see how big of a deficit are they gaining? Where like, they yeah. Mm-hmm. Were, were they 100% healthy before this happened? Do they already have vision issues? Do they yeah. already have hearing problems? And this is, do they already have vision problems and this could potentially make them worse? You know, so yeah. those weren't things that I was asked or thought about early on, but then when we needed to look into those, um, here's your referral. It's going to be six months before you can get in for that appointment though. So if those are things we could think about at the beginning of treatment and ask, you know, the oncologist might not have their mentality in that area. They're thinking about the treatment medication. They're thinking about your blood counts. They're thinking about, you know, a hundred other things. They're not, they're not looking for the side effects that you're looking for as much as you're, you know, yeah. you're, you're looking yeah. for them every single morning when mm-hmm. your kid wakes up, mm-hmm. you know, how are your, how are your feet feeling today? Are yeah. they tingling? You got neuropathy so like today? This, like, yeah. this binder is important. There's lots of great things in it, but it's almost like also somebody needs to be guiding you with like a 411. Hey, next this time you come into clinic, why don't you try to this. read this tab and let's come back and talk about it. Maybe that was a tab on social work and mm-hmm. maybe you're like, you know, Hey, I skimmed it. And well, what questions do you have on social work? Maybe it's time that you see one, but having some condensed version of a pamphlet, that's such a great idea. Yeah. yeah. I love it. And so I know that the clinic we're in, it gives you that information. It gives you that binder, but if it's something that we can get to like put on the clinic counter or have handed out to patients when they do get that diagnosis of, you don't need to read this today, but tomorrow when you yeah. wake up, crack this open and see if any of this resonates with you right off the bat is something that will be helpful for you guys right from the get go. Like I was going to ask you, Allison, like trying to put yourself back when you, when Jackson was initially diagnosed, can you see yourself? Like if somebody would have presented you with a pamphlet upon diagnosis to say like, don't read this today, but open it this weekend or tomorrow or something like that. Do you think you, I mean, does, did it feel did it feel more like a reality of, okay, yeah, I, at that point I would have looked at it, you know, like, and I would have, if somebody had handed me a resource and said, here are support groups, I would have signed up for it as soon as you walked out of the room. Yeah. That's the kind of person I am. I want all the information, all the options, all the possibilities Mm -hmm. laid out in front of me so I can see you know, what is available. Yeah. And, um, and like, and I think it's good. You said that's the type of person I am. Not everybody will bite on that, but at least right. they're offering it. And not everybody knows and needs it, needs it mm-hmm. or yeah. wants to use it. You yeah. know, some people are very like, I'm introverted. So going on social media to find support groups and being able to like peruse it and ask questions or comment on somebody else's and give them advice or suggestions at, you know, my leisure that, that is like, that's right up my alley yeah. going to a support group and sitting in a circle and talking about it. That's up my alley too, but that's not something I probably would have jumped on right away. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's yeah. something like, well, and I think there's something to be said too, even with the binder, so much information and so helpful, but also a guide, somebody to guide you to say, it is helpful. Tab. It's not helpful Here's at that tab. moment. Is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. somebody encouraging you to 
to check back in with it or yeah let's it's start like somebody handing you a turkey and then somebody handing you a chicken leg like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what can you digest yeah. what can you hold leg. with one hand Give while you're doing leg. this with the other yes. like yeah. that's to me that's what patients need that's what parents yeah. need that's what yeah. caregivers need is something that they can well, as a professional, get it together even, and understand. I say that to you, Megan. I feel like all the time that I'm, I don't feel like I have resources to give parents that I want to, to like, be like, I just said this to a mom. Well, and why would you? Floor. Because again, you're not knowing what to look for. Right. You don't need it to look right. for it. It's not be something that's being yeah. pushed by the right. hospital. Like, right. And because there's so much out there to, to, to navigate, navigate, yeah. it's like, you know, it takes uh, sometimes us hearing from parents, this is a good one, a good yes. resource and why, and here's how you can get involved with it and yeah. then how we can share that. So, yeah. so then like two, I wanted to, you know, hopefully we get this pamphlet made. Hopefully the information in it is super helpful, condensed, digestible, yeah. Yeah. you know, exactly what people need. And we get it on the counter. We get it in their hands. Um, Going from that and connecting it to the support group for our area is like the goal of it, right? So mm -hmm. I wanted to do the support group page. How do I get people to it? Well, if I could help them with this information mm -hmm. and I could put my name at the top of it or I could put the group page on at the top of it. So the first thing that they're seeing, we'll get connected to they're going to get connected and they're going to know like, look, we're giving you this information. Hopefully you can trust that going to this page, this is what you're going to continue to receive is yeah. help and advice and support yeah. and understanding. And, um, you know, I, I kind of wanted to make the support page like a quote unquote waiting room where you can go. And while you're waiting to hear back from the doctor, while you're waiting for your next appointment or your next scan, you can go there and get the help and support. And then you can translate that waiting by meeting the people on there and getting to know each other and follow other families and start supporting them to then, you know, this being area specific to where our treatment is, there's two treatment hospitals in our vicinity. Like, yeah. so the, uh, you're getting treated at one or the other. There's a 50% chance that, yeah. you know, the next mom I'm going to meet that has a kid with cancer in my area is being treated at the hospital, the same yeah. hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then translating those relationships online to person to person, like in, you know, face yeah. to face. And when I'm in the waiting room, I can see you and say, Oh, you know, Hey Sarah, it was, how's your kid doing today? Like, how are you yeah. doing? How's, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. did their fever go away? Did they have an infection or how are you guys doing? I know you weren't feeling that great, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, or being able to just hug somebody. Like I'm that person when I go to a waiting room, I'm going to say hello to the person sitting next to me. How are you? Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to their kid. Oh my gosh, your hair looks so cute today. Mm -hmm. Who's that on your shirt? Mm -hmm. What are you doing today? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I just want to connect with that kid and let them know, like, it, to me, it's just another level of comfort. Like, it's such mm -hmm. a scary place to be in when no, you're that nobody little. nobody wants to be at the hospital. No one wants right. to come to clinic. Yeah. The kids, the parents, so and I know a that it's helpful. Face like, can go a long way. If I'm distracting your kid for ten minutes, you could flip through your phone for ten. Minutes, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. you could take a break for ten minutes. Yeah. And if you want to distract my kid for ten minutes, <laughs> yeah. great, thanks. Um, and, and so, yeah, to me, that's just always been something that I've enjoyed doing um, is meeting other other parents. We do. Um, we have um, 
something we do. We have a car show that we put on. And in that car show, we have another um, event foundation. I don't know what you want to call it, but something that we kind of do through our school and we collect through our community. Um, we do cars for chemo and we collect new unopened Hot Wheels and then donate them back to Riley. Um, when Jackson was little, that's how we got him to sit still Loves for his sport access. <laughs> oh my gosh, he does. We would we had a poke prize. His poke prize every week was a Hot Wheel. So that's how we got him to sit still. You know, once he got kind of past the initial fear of this needle coming at him and realized it's not, you know, it's it's not going to hurt, you just have to sit still. That was how we got him to sit still. Mm-hmm. Sit still and you're going to get your poke prize. You're going to get a new Hot Wheel. Well, one of the ladies that was in clinic that would know which Hot Wheels he'd already gotten and save him back one, you know, because that's how awesome the clinic people are. Mm -hmm. They recognize my kid as an individual and a special little boy, Mm -hmm. just like they're going to do every other kid that walks through there. Um, She actually moved to a different area. She wasn't in there anymore. So Hot Wheels weren't always available. And if they were, they might not, you know, be ones that he didn't already have. So we started just buying them ourselves and bringing them with us. You know, they're super cheap, a dollar and just something we could easily carry, transport in our bag, and he could still get a poke prize every week. So when we started doing the car show, we thought, um, well, let's collect Hot Wheels. Let's, you know, make a donation so they don't run out of them. And they have a big variety of them instead of just like the same 10 or whatever. <laughs> and then it just kind of continued. We just kept doing it. This will be our eighth year for the car show. And we've we've done it every year. And then when Jackson got in school, one of his teachers, Mrs. BB, we love you. Hello. <laughs> um she was like, Hey, well, can I take this and run with it and put boxes around the school and like do a contest, like whatever grade collects the most. And, um, so yeah, seven years we've been doing it and we've donated probably around 15,000 Hot Wheels that is amazing. to Riley. Oh my um, so, you know, that's, but anyway, that's like going back to the basics of it or the beginning yeah. of it. And like the Pope prize thing, that was just, you know, yeah. somebody else kind of had sparked that idea Yeah, and, I was like, oh yeah, that sounds that sounds like something that would be super helpful. Yeah. So we would start pa- passing them out too. Like we make general donations, but we would like start passing them out too. So like first, I'd put them in my backpack and just have an extra one to like hand out to a kid in the waiting room. And then we would, um, when Jackson got a little bit older and he was kind of old enough to under start understanding why we're doing it um, and what it means to like what it means to us, but what it means to those families. I wanted him to start participating and in connect it. Connect really with. That. He's been always on the receiving end of it, and I, it was really important to me that he understood, you know, where those are coming from and why you're getting them, and how important that is to other kids yeah. too, mm-hmm. and what it can mean when you give and share and all those yeah. good things you want to teach your kid as yeah. a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And so, yeah, we would, we had bags made that had like jalopies for Jackson on them and cars for chemo or whatever. And we'd fill them up with Hot Wheels and he would start passing them out. And we would go to the clinic and go to the rooms. We'd go to the infusion. And since then, I mean, like I said, that's been a few years ago and protocols and privacy has changed some of that and they don't allow it anymore. We occasionally still sneak a Hot Wheel in the waiting room. (laughs) Maybe not a whole bag of them, but, you know, to be able to distract kids like that in the waiting room and make those connections and start building those relationships. And then the next time I see you, you don't look at me like I'm the weird lady who's like talking to you and your kid. Now, you know who I am. You recognize me. Like, yeah. And then six months from now, when I'm still bugging you, like 
now you're my friend. I've, I forced it upon you. And <laughs> you're, you're my Facebook friend and we keep up with each other. And, you know, we've run into each other at Brain Tumor Education Day or Brain Tumor Camp or, you know, MRI or whatever it is. Um, to me, I just think that could be something. Those online support groups are fantastic. I, If I could recommend anything to anybody, yes, go to those support groups. But if I can follow up with, let's have a local support group, maybe not one where we sit in a circle and cry and sob, but where we can at least acknowledge and recognize each other, whether it's online, socially, or whether it's face-to-face in the waiting room, Mm -hmm. that would, that's something that brings comfort to everybody, Mm -hmm. the parent, the child. If my child can become friends with your child and my child doesn't have to like feel weird or awkward or have to explain anything because your child is going through the exact same thing, whether they can talk about it because they understand each other or whether they can completely ignore it and not have to talk about it because they understand each other. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like it's, it's an important connection that while support groups are important to me, my nine-year-old's not getting online and searching for support groups for nine-year-olds with brain tumors. You know, he's, He's very limited into the kids that he has contact with that are going through what he's going through. Mm -hmm. So it's just important, as important to me that he is receiving that um, emotional support, peer support Mm -hmm. as it is that I get it. Yeah. Um, And so that's, I mean, that was, that's right now the two projects that I'd like to kind of tackle over the next year and work on getting out there and Mm -hmm. trying to help somebody. And you're going to email me some of the resources that you've already talked about so that if somebody's driving or listening to this, they can go and click. And then one more time, say the Facebook group name. Um, The Facebook page that I started, the group is called Indiana Childhood Cancer Connect. And the goal is to hopefully request to be. Yeah. You go on there. And I think, I mean, I think I put on there like um, requests to be added to the group. And then I think I put on there like, what is your kid's diagnosis? Yeah. When were they diagnosed yeah. and where's your treatment hospital okay. to kind of like help give me an idea yeah. of where people are at. Yeah. And then I wanted to include in there too, like, so we're in central Indiana. Mm-hmm. There are two treatment hospitals that are here in India, Indianapolis, the yeah. capital. Um, but we also, for our kids that have to receive like proton radiation, they get sent to Cincinnati and Chicago. And so I did add on there, um, the Cincinnati hospital and the Chicago hospital that are connected with those radiation areas, because if you have to go to radiation, I still feel like it's just as important for you to be able to make that connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And those hospitals may have their own support groups, but yeah. if you're in Indiana, you may not be looking for like a Cincinnati area yeah. support group. Yeah. After so, two of those kids go to radiation and they come back right. here too. So it's so, like, yeah. you know, I think yeah. that's great. So uh-huh. I, I did want to include them. I yeah, mean, I, yeah. my focus is I want to focus on central Indiana, yeah. but you know, we have to realize too, there's people in Southern Indiana or Northern Indiana mm-hmm. who are going to go to those those are going to just end up being closer to them, but they're still, they're still local. Like mm-hmm. there's still maybe a reason they have to come to see a specialist or something like that. Yeah. So I just wanted the opportunity to be there. If you live in Indiana, this is one of the first things that you're going to find or one of the first resources you're going to get pointed towards. And then it can essentially be like, Absolutely. okay, these are people that I'm going to run into and see yeah. on a regular basis. Um, and then going through Momcology, that main support group that I talked about, they rolled out at the end of last year a program called Caregiver Coffee Convos or Caregiver Coffee oh, Events. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I was telling you about it at Brain Tumor Camp. Yeah. And they essentially, someone, 
um, whoever wants to like sign up for it and lead it. So like I went on there to get information. Hopefully, you know, maybe in six months time, we can get this group built up. There's a hundred, 200 of us. Obviously not everybody would be able to go, but to say, Hey, we're going to have a caregiver coffee event. Yeah. This is where it's going to be. This is going to be the date and the time. Yeah. You know, this is, this is what we're going to talk about this week or this, this time or whatever. And then Momcology offers to pay for that with pay for like a $5 coffee for everybody. Wow. So if it's not something that would be like financially feasible, feasible. for you to do, mm-hmm. you know, they're awesome. going to help take care of it. And it might be a one-time event where you meet as a big group, but then if you can make connections in that group and find friends, like, you know, say we have an event and there's a hundred people there. Well, obviously we're not all going to be dealing with the same diagnosis. So maybe we separate into smaller groups at this event. Yeah. Brain tumor moms over here, leukemia moms over here, sarcoma moms Mm -hmm. over here. And then you can really connect with the people who are, you know, you're going to be in clinic in the same day because your kids have the same diagnosis. Um, And then when we leave, when we walk away from that, we have this area where we can continue the conversation all together. Yeah. Support each other. When somebody's having a fundraising event or the car show or, mm-hmm. you know, the if there's an event going on at Riley, we can all talk about it. Or at Peyton Manning, we can all talk about it. And, yeah. you know, are you going? Are you going? Is yeah. your kid, you know, how's your kid feeling? Is your kid, you know, you going to go this weekend? Or if we want to start a new fundraising event through this group. I mean, there's just so many possibilities. Yeah. Once you get a bunch of moms together. That you kick ass and take names. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> You know, but who's stronger so than a, a hashtag mom. or so, a, a mom, an, uh, an oncology mom? Yeah. So that was, that well, was, I think this is all so amazing and I'm just so glad. I know that you felt at first like, gosh, do I even have the time to take the leap and do this? And I'm overwhelmed myself. And so it is. And this is the thing is the people who are leading the way with this are the people who are in the trenches. Yes. And it's, it's a catch 22 because if somebody does it for you, they might not understand what your needs are, Yeah. but the people that are doing it might not really have much to dedicate to it, but they know that they need it and they know they want to do it. So, well, this is great and a great start. And, um, you know, hopefully people even just listening to this hear about, um, hear about the Facebook page and can go there and just get started but I think this is a, an amazing place to start. Even it this, is, just having yeah. this conversation and hopefully yeah. other moms can hear it. Yeah. But I wanted to, before we kind of wrap up, because you guys, we've been talking for an hour and a half. Oh, that's <laughs> No, that's because this is, that's great. we could probably talk for another hour yeah. and a half. Um, but we do a segment called I Wish. So I'm wondering if you can do an I Wish. And I'm wondering if yours can be, I wish that oncology moms knew. I wish oncology moms knew that they don't have to know everything all at once. Um, They don't have to become an expert in what they're doing. It will just happen naturally. Um, I wish that they knew that they're going to get through it. Uh, The very beginning you feel very broken and I just wish they knew that it's okay to be broken. You're still, you still have everything you need, even if it's in pieces and you are 
the only one that will be able to get your kid through it the way that your kid needs to get through it. Um, I, I wish that they knew they didn't have to know it all to get through it, that they're not alone going through it. And no matter what happens, they will never be alone. No matter the child's outcome, no matter I have, I've been in this for eight years and I've been building relationships with families for eight years and my kid's still in treatment. A lot of people I met at the beginning, their kid is, has, you know, finished treatment five years ago and never looked back. They never had to come back. Some families, their, their children passed away. They, you know, they, they didn't get the cure that they were hoping for. And there's not many families that I know that are, you know, still doing it this long, this many years later. So I've never felt for a second unsupported or alone from other parents. And so I just wish they knew if you, if you needed anything, parent support is what you need from other parents. You can have the best doctors in the world. Your child can be the strongest kid in the world, but mentally to get through it, you need other parents. I love it. I don't think there's any better way to end. There isn't. You're just a joy. That's all I have to say. (laughs) You brought a couple tears to my eyes during this, Allison, listening to you. Just tell your story again, even though I already know it. And what you're doing is huge. And I won't go further because I'll just be an emotional match. But parents need you and things like this. And it's awesome. It's going to be a gift. Mm -hmm. It will be. Mm Mm-hmm. You are a gift. Your son is a gift. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lifting the Fog. As always, please email us at liftingthefog1, that's the number one, at gmail.com. We want to hear from you with your questions, concerns, thoughts, and ideas for future conversations and topics to dive into. And subscribe, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, but subscribe and rate us. We would also love for you to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at liftingthefog1, and please hashtag us at hashtag liftingthefog. And as always, Lifting the Fog is an independent podcast. All information, thoughts, and opinions shared are for informational purposes only. No material on this podcast is intended to be substituted for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your qualified health provider with any questions that you may have. Thanks for tuning in.